jackets on. And this week we are joined by Panther Layer publisher Chris Beaky, a friend to our site, and George Peck and, and Pitt are two of the close forward teams from the last was offensively uh, in, in 2019. So I think it's going to be kind of an interesting game on Saturday and wanted to get kind of back into the groove of doing the podcast. And uh, I thought Chris would be an interesting guy. Russell will join us again next week um, as he has uh, a few family obligations kind of tying him up right now. So without much further ado, we'll uh, jump into Chris and I talking about both teams. We're kind of going to go back and forth talking about. <laughs> Welcome to the Panther show as we uh, preview pit Georgia tech this week, Panthers going to Atlanta for seven o'clock kickoff that you may or may not be able to watch in the city of Pittsburgh, probably won't be able to watch, but uh, we encourage you to find any and all means of doing so. And we're joined now by Kelly Quinlan from jacketsonline.com. Always a pleasure to talk to Kelly as we, uh, you know, we do it every year in these, these football preview things. And now we're actually doing it on video, which is far more awkward than the uh, talking <laughs> over the phone. But I think we've all gotten used to it at this point, uh, given the uniqueness of 2020. And, and I, I wanted to ask you about that to start, Kelly. You know, what, what's the situation with Georgia Tech as far as attendance? I, I look, as uh, they having about 11,000 for each game? Is, is that you know, what, what, what should we expect from the crowd uh, this weekend? Well, it's going to be interesting because the weather is getting a little bit gnarly. I'm going to actually look at it while we're talking here. Um, there's a, like a hurricane down in Florida that's getting ready to hit, and it always pushes weird weather up here. So right now it's been storming here in Atlanta. It's going to storm for the next couple of days. Supposedly it's going to be nice out. That tends to draw, draw a little bit better. But, yeah, they've been drawing – between like 10 and 11,000 for the games, they're at 20, 25% capacity. I can't remember which number. And it's, uh, it's weird. I mean, it's not as weird. I went to Boston college two weeks ago, three weeks ago, and there was no fans and that was even weirder. So I guess it's sort of like what the way I compare it, it's like going to a spring game, man. Like, you know, like at most spring games, you have like the diehard kind of people and the parents, that's sort of what it is, right? It's like the people that really want to watch the games in person, and then the rest of them are kind of not as interested or checked out or whatever. And um, it's going to be interesting to me, like, to see, like, how the atmosphere is for, for a night game like this again. And two teams that have played traditionally close games since Narduzzi's been there. I mean, I think, you know, probably all of them have been decided by maybe 20 points, like, since Narduzzi's been there. Um, and, you know, to me, it's, it's just interesting. I, I, the way I describe the ACC this year to everyone is you have like Clemson and Notre Dame, and then it just falls off a cliff after that. It is a series of mediocre teams playing each other. So Miami can beat people and they're ranked, but they're sort of fraudulent. And then you have like Pitt, Carolina, Louisville, Georgia Tech, Florida State. They're all like the same team that's, dysfunctional on some level and like can play up or down to their opponents and depending on who's available with COVID and injuries like or who's opted out like that's going to determine whether or not they win the game I mean it has been the hardest season to handicap you have Boston College who's actually like a better team right now like none of it makes any sense on paper and 
like every game's been different, right? Because you have like Georgia Tech gets smoked by Clemson, then plays Notre Dame pretty well, um, and beats Louisville, who nearly beat Notre Dame. So like, none of it makes any sense. Like when you look at it, there's no. Normally, you can handicap games and do those types of things, and this year is just a total crapshoot. Yeah, I, I think what Florida State beat Carolina, then they get destroyed by Notre Dame and then Pitt beats them so bad that they have like players leaving the team. I think Pitt yep. broke Florida state, you know, so it's uh, who knows what's going on. I, I, I agree with you. Do you, you know, obviously they're going to go back to the division format. What do you, what do you think of how it's gone this year with this, this single division thing? I think for teams like Pitt and Georgia tech, it kind of takes a lot of the fun out of it because it seems unlikely that they would finish in the top two in most seasons. But um, you know, what, what do you think of this sort of one year experiment with a single division? I think it's a little more interesting. Um, I'm a fan. Like, I, I've i been hoping Notre Dame would join the conference because I think you could go to a pod then and play. I actually laid this out on my site the other night. You could play. If Notre Dame joins, you don't need to add another team because right now there's no TV money to make that worthwhile anyways. And you don't need to go add Cincinnati or whatever. You could play three um, five-team pods, right, where you play four games against the teams in your pod, and then you play two from each of the other two pods. And you could put like Pitt, BC, Syracuse, and Notre Dame together or whatever. And you could put the Carolina schools and Clemson together and then Florida State and Georgia Tech and Louisville or whatever together, like teams that are have some geography comparisons or maybe make a little bit of sense. And then pick the best out of those teams every year versus right now we're, you know, the Coastal sucks and has sucked for like 10 years now. Um and the Atlantic's been much better with Florida State and Clemson, and now Florida State's falling off a little bit. But there's, it, it doesn't help the league when you can't play, like, the second-best team, right? The second-best team maybe, you know, two years ago is NC State, right? Or, um, you know, I think about the year Georgia Tech played when North Carolina and Miami were ineligible because of NCAA stuff, and Georgia Tech went 6-6 six and, six and played uh, Florida State almost beat them. Um <laughs> and then had to get a waiver to go to a bowl game to play USC. So, like, it's a weird situation. Like, I think the the ACC's divisions don't make any sense. And so I like that they're playing these teams. I mean, um, I, I've been covering Georgia Tech since 2009, and I had never been to Boston College until this year, like, as a reporter. Like, it was one of the two schools, that, the only two schools that had not been in their stadium to cover a game. The other one – with Syracuse, which I couldn't go to because of the weird uh, rules they have in New York with COVID stuff, but uh, Massachusetts was a little more um, open, and so I was able to go. I had to get a COVID test before I went to, to Massachusetts and fill out all this paperwork and stuff. But, you know, it's just a, um, to answer your question, it's just, I like it better. I think it makes more sense. to, to I would think it's logical to have, say, Notre Dame and Clemson rematch in the ACC championship versus having them play you know, Pitt or a Virginia Tech team that just lost the Liberty or, you know, whatever it would normally be, right? Like, I mean, think about the Coastal right now. Who would be the team in the Coastal that would be in first place? Uh, North Carolina, maybe? Like, um, yeah, or Miami, or, I guess, right? I mean, yeah, I guess Miami. Yeah. Um, but, like, you know, the second, the probably the best teams in the league right now are Notre Dame, Clemson, Miami, and then, like, BC or Wake Forest. Um, and then maybe Carolina. So like it's just a weird season, and I, I think it, I think it's stupid that you don't see um, a lot of these teams, right? Like 
I think you should have the ability to play more than your per- the permanent rivalries make no sense um, mm. on paper either, and that's something because it's totally unfair that you have you've had Virginia Tech play Boston College when they sucked, and then Georgia Tech was playing Clemson every year as Clemson was getting better and better, and yet that's their permanent rivalry games. And you had seasons where Duke did pretty well because Duke's draw was Wake Forest, who was like you know two and whatever, and then they play like you know NC State or whatever in their in their uh, permanent rivalry game. So like to me, it's just I don't know. It's weird. It's a weird situation, and I like it, but I think it'll be interesting to see if Notre Dame gets pushed also into the league now, because I think the TV money is drying up and I don't think it's coming back anytime soon. So yeah, the, the hard thing about Notre Dame though, is I, I don't think it's just about the, I mean, obviously the TV money is big from them from NBC, but I, I feel like I read that they would make more if they were to join the ACC, like their, their NBC money's not. Oh, it's definitely so a, it's definitely a prestige thing. Exactly. Than, and you, you can't put a right? price tag on it. I think it's hard to convince them to go if they're like, no, we still think we're better than everybody else, you know? Well, it'll be interesting to see what happens, right? Let's say Clemson and Notre Dame are on the table and then they rematch and you have Trevor Lawrence and you have the four defensive guys who were out for Clemson in that game too uh, that people don't talk about either. And that's a totally different game, right? So, and then they lose and they're out of the playoff. Let's say that you take Cincinnati, which, you know, could happen. Does that force their hand? I think that's what's going to be the driving factor that moves Notre Dame one way or the other. But think about it. Like how much you're already playing. It's stupid because the ACC is already playing these five games, right, with Notre Dame. So it's like it sucks for the schools that draw them. Like Georgia Tech plays them again next year. So they got to play Notre Dame and UGA. So, like, you know, that's that's a tough draw you're getting from the ACC. And they're playing Clemson now. So you have Notre Dame, Georgia, and Clemson. Or two, uh, three of the what, top ten programs in the country year to year. Um, that that's a crap hand to, to be dealt. Whereas if you had a different scheduling format, you might not play Clemson every year, and you might not play Notre Dame, and if they were in the league. So you know, I don't know. It's it's one of those weird things. Like I think you know, maybe with Florida State being down, that resets things a little bit in ACC, but. I just really hate the divisions. I don't think they make sense anymore. Um, who's Louisville's permanent right? It's Virginia, right? That's who they play? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Because it was Maryland. They lost. So, yeah, it's a great rivalry game, Virginia and Louisville. You know, like, you know, most of the rivalries make zero sense, right? Like, Wake Forest, for example, hasn't played, uh, you know, this will be the first time they play North Carolina this week, the first time they played them in an ACC game in a while. Right. Like, they actually were playing them non-conference this year. Right. last year to just so those t- the seniors on those teams would actually have a chance to play in that rivalry and that's just stupid man like yeah and you know i also the other thing i wonder about too now is like you have all the and this is something narduzzi talked about in his presser Pitt's coming to atlanta two years in a row georgia tech's going to miami two years in a row like how do you reset those things like what are they going to do there yeah like, are you going to go two years in a row up or you know Flip it, that doesn't really make a lot of sense either. So, like, uh, you know, what is the solution there? I, I think they need to have a a, a real kind of uh, deep look inside at what they're doing. 
I think either you need to, if you want to keep your permanent rivalry situation, you need to add a game to the schedule and go to nine games, or you need to redo the, the conference structure because it doesn't make a lot of sense right now to me. See, well, I always, whenever I think about the nine game schedule, though, Georgia Tech is one of those schools that comes to mind because they've got the Georgia game already scheduled. You know what I mean? So sure, it's tough. Uh, yeah. Louisville and Kentucky. I mean, that that really limits your options on what you can do. And then you add in the five game Notre Dame situation. I, I feel like that's always going to keep the nine game schedule off the table. I, I agree with the, the permanent crossovers are the problem. If you just kept the same divisions and eliminated the permanent crossovers, you'd see every team once every three years, you know, and you go to every stadium once every six years. So, I mean, you're not going to get to see every place for every kid, but you're still going to see every team at least, you know what I mean? Once every three years, uh, as opposed to now where, yeah, I mean, Pitt played Louisville in 2015. They're not going to play him again until, you know, another year or two from now. But I think you're right though. This year, I felt this about a lot of things with related to how COVID and the pandemic have, you know, kind of opened our eyes to a lot of things we might not have previously considered, like working from home. You know, I keep sure. saying companies never would have experimented with that, but now they're finding out, oh, it can actually work. So more people might end up working from home when, when you know, as we move past this. Well, maybe, you know, the ACC needed something extreme to sort of break its scheduling matrix for a year so that they would have to go back and, and reset it. Because you're right. I mean, if they just keep, if they just go right back to where they were going to be, Pitt's going to be going to Georgia uh, you know, for, you know, three years in a row, you know I mean? They're going to be going down to Atlanta three years in a row. And that's, you know, it doesn't seem, that doesn't, I like going to Atlanta. I think it's a great trip, but it's, it's less than ideal. So maybe this is kind of the impetus to sort of uh, reset things starting in 2021, either with a new scheduling, scheduling format altogether, or just reset the matrix the way they, the way they had it, you know? Well, I mean, my, I'm an advocate. I've thought for a long time, if with the, the current format, if you took the old Big East teams and kind of slotted them together and then slotted the old SEC, the old ACC teams together, that sort of made more sense to me, like as a, a way of splitting the divisions versus this Atlantic coastal crap that doesn't make any sense on paper where you have like Wake Forest outside of their, all their rivals in Duke and Carolina. And you have, um, you know, like, and then maybe make, you know, make a deal with Virginia and Virginia Tech that they play each other or um, whoever it is that gets left on the outside of that situation. But, like, to me, it just – like, because, you know, the thing is, too, Virginia and Virginia Tech don't have, like, an SEC game they play every year or right. some other school. So you could set it up, like, to where if it's not a conference year, they play each other as a non-conference game. Like – and just keep their rivalry going at the end of the season. Like that's really the only one that would get sort of messed up in that. Maybe Miami, Florida state, uh, depending on how you split those two teams up, but you know, like what, wouldn't it make more sense to have Virginia tech and, and Pitt and Cuse and BC all play each other to have like some tradition of playing each other, you know, like versus, um, you know, going to play Duke. Yeah. Like we, yeah. No one cares about. Who's the odd man out though? Which which former? Which of the old ACC teams? I think you move Florida Trump? State probably. Really, you move Florida State into the Big East division? Yeah, because I think they were the they may have been the last one to join. The, oh, okay. Um, if you go back and look at it, I, I feel like they joined in '93, hmm. something like that. Tech joined, and then Georgia Tech joined, and then Florida State joined. Georgia Tech joined in like the '80s, and then, um, you know. 
I think that you could move Florida State. That would balance the power a little bit, and it would keep Miami and Florida State together. Uh, and I think that would be more interesting, too, if, like, they were playing for a conference. with right. a, a division, I'm sorry, playing each other in a division and having them separated, uh, which I think they did because they thought they were going to both be national powers. And it's been comical that, that really Florida State's been the only one that's done anything. Um, yeah. It wasn't Miami's first time in the ACC championship. Was it, what, last year? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> um, you know, so I think you I think you need to examine all of your options, right? Like the SEC is stupid. You have Missouri in the East. Like that doesn't make any sense. Like geographically, they probably should move Auburn, to be honest, like over to the East and slide Missouri to the West. Like there's just a lot of these weird things that and they are lost in conference expansion that don't make a lot of sense to me. And I think if you had the whole Big East teams together, I think that would might rekindle some rivalry stuff and i think it would make maybe a stronger league yeah yeah it'd be interesting to see what happens uh, going forward all right let's get um a little more uh you know specific and uh a little more pressing here with this game on on saturday i want to talk about jeff collins but i, I want to start with jeff sims the, the quarterback you know freshman coming in being the starter you know, we can look at the numbers, you know, team lead in rushing touchdowns, you know, eight touchdowns, eight, 10 picks and all those kinds of things. Are you surprised that he ended up being the starting quarterback? Do you feel like that was what was going to happen when he was getting recruited? And, you know, how's he been as the starter for Georgia Tech this year? It was sort of like a bonus addition, right? When uh, Willie Taggart gets fired, Mike Norvell comes in. They don't really see eye to eye, Jeff and, and Mike Norvell out of the gate and he reopens his recruitment and then Georgia Tech's like, well, this is a good opportunity. They had another commitment who was close to him and they were able to kind of get in there real quick, get, get him turned around and pick him up. The guy they had wanted to be their quarterback, Tucker Gleason still signed. He was the guy that was recruited for the system. They came in in the spring. Uh, Tech actually had seven spring practices. We, the way it works there is we're at every practice. So we were, there watching them. Jeff was struggling. Uh, it seemed like it was moving really fast for him, as you'd expect, because he came came in early. And so did Tucker Gleason. They're both playing. Tucker looked like the better quarterback. And then Jeff used his downtime, right? You had all the you had all this COVID time where they were down, school was down. Uh, he wasn't having to do workouts or anything. And he learned the offense really well. Came in in the spring. And then athletically, he's the most gifted guy they have. And he was able to kind of use his time and he worked with the receivers on their own and they would do throwing sessions and he spent a lot of time in the film room and he learned the offense. And then when they came out in fall camp, after like a week or two of being in pads, he really just kind of blossomed and took over and hasn't really looked back. He's been, he got sat down a couple times for some bad interceptions he threw and just to kind of save him at the end of some games, but he's played really well. Most of his turnovers came in a two-game stretch against Central Florida and and Syracuse. Um, and really, they were like – he threw, I think, four interceptions that came on tip screen passes, which was kind of a weird uh, thing, like big fat man stat, uh, sacks and that kind of stuff. And um, it's going to be interesting to see, like, kind of how he continues to develop. This week's a big test, obviously. Early on in the year or two, he wasn't – taking sacks he was trying to force the ball out now you play a team that's plus eight on the next closest team in the country in sacks it's really dominant uh from a defensive line perspective georgia tech's offensive line still in transition from the triple option where you had a different body style right and a different style of blocking 
So that's sort of the that's the key matchup to me, right? If Georgia Tech can manage their offense and score some points, I think it'll be an interesting game. And can they keep Jeff Sims off the ground, right? Like if they do those things, then it's a game. If they don't, then Pitt's going to dominate them, and that's really where their struggles have come when they haven't been able to keep Sims clean and, and allow him to throw the ball down the field and back off the defense from the run game. That's the the been the the real struggle for them. Are they still showing signs of? Uh, I mean, you mentioned it a little bit. Are they still showing signs of kind of going through the transition from the triple option into something uh, a little more modern? I mean, I think to be honest, the one place where they they I think they've hurt been hurt the most is a receiver, because in Paul's system, they, he recruited these big, tall, wide receivers that would play in one-on-one coverage and you throw a 50-50 ball downfield. And a lot of times it'd just be wide open because they catch the corners looking in or a safety looking in and, and you'd just be running a you know, vertical right by a guy. Now you have a situation where these guys have to beat guys off routes. It's a quickness thing, really other than Marion Brown and, and Nate McCollum, the, the true freshman slot. Those two slot receivers are really the only super fast guys they have on the outside. And so it gets down to technique and 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 being able to to get open and get off your your man and they've struggled a little bit with that and I think that's been the thing that maybe has hurt them the most in the transition. The running back thing has not been an issue. Like they're they're as talented as anyone in the country at running back um, in terms of their depth and the quality of the depth they have. They have three guys who don't play that would be in the two deep at a lot of schools in the country and in, in the P five and. Uh, and you have Jameer Gibbs and Jordan Mason, who are two of the premier running backs in the ACC, kind of splitting the workload right now. So I feel like they have enough weapons there. The tight end position still kind of in transition. You know, it's two, two, two sophomores, converted long snapper, and a true freshman. Those are their four tight ends. And they just don't have a, a huge amount of playing experience, so it's going to be um, kind of some growing pains there a little bit, but that was to be expected, right? That's something that everyone expected with the change. I think the receiver position has been kind of the thing that's been the most disappointing. I think right now they're catching like 50% of their balls or something like that on targets, and they've had a lot of drops. Uh, I think they've had 11 this year. Um, that, that's been disappointing for Sims too, and then Sims has missed on some, had some overthrows. There were two plays he missed in the Clemson game that were huge. He missed a couple in the Notre Dame game that could have made that more competitive. He's got a hit on those. He talked about it uh, today with us about needing to step into his throws and, and be a little more confident with, with the deep ball. He feels like he was aiming a little too much. What about the other side of the ball? I mean, I was, you know, you, you keep an eye on these games, but then you start researching the team. And I mean, you see the stats for the defense at, at Georgia tech and it's, it's, it's not, it's not good. You know, it's, uh, it's not, it's not strong. And I mean, this is coming, you know, a week after looking at the stats for Florida state and saying, boy, that's, that's not very good either. So, you know, you're looking at, you know, bottom two, bottom three, bottom one of the ACC and a lot of these stat categories. I mean, what, what have been some of the weaknesses? What have been some of the vulnerabilities for this, uh, this Georgia tech defense? Um, the corners played pretty well. Um, playing man-to-man uh, and then in the zone. The middle of the defense has been horrible in terms of pass coverage, whether it's linebackers in man coverage, safeties in man coverage, or playing their zones, guys getting out of position, guys chasing quarterbacks or chasing defender, or, I mean, chasing receivers in the wrong spots, getting their eyes out of position. 
They've had trouble getting to the quarterback. That's been a huge issue in the Notre Dame and Boston College games in particular. They would they would maybe get a little bit of a rush, but they get out of their pass their rush lanes and open up these big wide spots where uh, Jerkovic or Ian Book would be able to run and get some get some open space or throw downfield. That's the thing that kind of scares me for Georgia Tech in this matchup because Pickett's very good at keeping his eyes downfield and, and, and extending plays, right? Like he's not a fast guy, he's not a runner, but he's able to be smart and run when he needs to run and pick up and move the sticks. And, and that that's a huge problem for him. It was a problem last year when they played Pitt too. And, uh, you know, the defense sucks on third down. They're giving up almost 50% of their third downs. Like that's horrendous. And a lot of them have been third and longs where they just – you know, they don't get any pressure on the quarterback. Uh, you know, the quarterback has time to extend the play, and then guys improvise and get open in space. And and then, voila, you have this big play that, that was totally unexpected and kind of – and then it, and defense is so much about momentum and confidence, right? Like, more than anything, like, if you feel confident, like you guys are going to stop and you're playing well and you trust your teammates, you're going to play well. And when you don't, it goes south, and that's been the issue this year as well. And they've had a lot of injuries. They've lost their starting defensive tackles, played zero games this year. That was their uh, one returning starter from last year at defensive tackle. Antonius Clayton, who was this big transfer defensive end, five-star kid from Florida, I mean from Georgia that signed with Florida and transferred in, he's played, you know, two and a half games maybe, three games. He's not been 100% in most of those games, not played particularly well. Um, their six-year linebacker, David Curry, has really struggled. He's been sort of the guy that's been caught out of position a lot. And then um, one of their safeties, Trey Carpenter, is a senior, had been a tremendous player. He had an injury in the offseason, came in overweight, um, and just played terrible basically the first couple games of the season and has sort of been playing himself back into shape. And um, – he, he, you know, finally has started to turn a corner, but he was their big eraser on defense. He was the guy that would make big plays for them, get interceptions or, or big hits or whatever, and he hasn't really done any of that this year. So they've had a lot of issues. Um, they've just been struck with a ton of injuries, too. They've had – they've maybe had their – what the, they've never had their the starting defense they expected to have at any point this season, and they've had probably a different group start every single game this season. Um especially in the front seven. That's that's a tough way uh, to go. I saw they were last in red zone defense as well. Is that a – is there anything unique about that, or is that just another sort of symptom of the, the bigger problem? I think, um, it, you know, I think it's – that's definitely also part of what's going on. Last year they played a lot better on defense. I think that's the part that's disappointing, right? It's literally the same guys, like, that played last year. They're just not – they lost, um, you know, uh, one one of the defensive tackles um, who started some, and then they lost uh, one of the safeties that was kind of a main guy. But that's not a position where they have depth issues. And the rest of the defense is exactly the same, and they're much worse than they were a year ago. And that has people going crazy, and, and it's one of those things that's been weird because – Jeff Collins has kind of made some excuses on his radio show. He hasn't done to the media yet, but he talked about it being some big transition on defense, and in reality it wasn't because mm-hmm. they were running the same defense. They they ran a 3-4 for one year, Paul's last year, with Nate Woody, who's at Army now. 
But other than that, it's been the same defense for the past since 2012, basically. So it's not a scheme, total scheme change or anything. And what they're asking them to do is not that different. Are they lacking guys up front? Yes. They, they, it was a weird time when Jeff got here because they had graduated four defensive linemen and then the fifth one passed away in the offseason, unfortunately, leading up to his first year, who was a guy who was going to play in the NFL. And that sort of – they've been trying to come back from that. That's taken a long time. And they just haven't adjusted well in games either. And I think that's been a huge frustration. Jeff's known as a defensive coach. So, again, that's where it gets into fresh – when you're a defensive coach and your defense is not playing well, people tend to get – more irrationally upset about it, just like when Paul Johnson's offense didn't play well. But people got irrationally upset about that at times. In reality, it's a team game, right? Like all phases of your game have to, to be clicking. And um, that's really killed them is when the, the the defense is not holding up there and the offense is playing okay. And then they just can't keep up because they're really young and inexperienced in offense in a lot of places. Right. I, I kind of look at, you know, Pitt's offense is certainly its, you know, weakness this season. Like you just described, you know, Georgia Tech's defense has been a bit of a weakness. I mean, does this come down to, you know, whether or not Georgia Tech's offense can move the ball against Pitt's defense? I mean, is that, that what decides this game? Or is it, is it going to be decided, you think, more by, you know, who's who's got the, the lesser weakness on Saturday between Pitt's offense and Georgia Tech's defense? I think if Tech's defense can get off the field, the offense can muster something together with the they've when they've when the defense has played well and they've given the offense more turns, they tend to figure something out. The defense has started really slow in a lot of games and got dug a hole too. That's been another issue they've had. Um, offensively, you know, I still don't quite understand what they're trying to do at times. Uh, the I don't see the setting plays up or what the philosophy is long-term. I think that's been a frustration for, for Tech fans. And then the other thing that you haven't touched on is the George Tech's kicking game is atrocious. Like, mm. place kicking, they're last in the country right now. Um, one for six on field goals, and they've missed three or four PATs this year uh, and had several kicks blocked, and it's comically bad. So, basically, it's from, you know, the 30 in, you're going for it. Um They've had a lot of issues in the red zone scoring on offense as well uh, with false starts and bad sacks and things like that where they lose points that way. So it, it's just kind of been an all-encompassing mess, which has been something that's really frustrated fans with with Coach Collins and his staff because the problem for Jeff is Jeff's a super positive guy. He's always recruiting, selling big. So he's like, you know, we're the best, you know, we're going to do things at a high level. We're going to execute at a high level. We're doing pro style, this and that. And then you can't kick a PAT. Like it really frustrates people. <laughs> um, especially because Georgia Tech had like 20 years of really solid kicking through three different coaching staffs before that. So and you can go even further back than that. Um, you probably go back to the eighties. So, yeah, things like that are, are, are where the frustration lies now in the program, and the fans are a little annoyed. Um, Jeff probably oversold things a lot, and that's tough when you do that. Like, it's better to, you know, under-promise and over-deliver than, and than over-promise and, and under-deliver, and he's been a little in the latter category. Um, 
in terms of the fan perspective. Like now I had a realistic expectation. I said that I thought three to three to five wins was a reasonable goal for the season, right? And they're still sort of on trajectory for that. They're two and five now or whatever, but um fans didn't look at that way. They were talking about how they could compete for the coastal and all this. I'm like, you gotta simmer down, like don't get caught up in what your coach is saying. Your coach is trying to sell his recruiting vision and what they're doing and how they're developing players. Don't confuse that for, um, you know, that this program suddenly here and they've taken this giant leap. It's incremental steps. Like, quite frankly, where he is is what Dave Clawson did when he took over for Jim Grove at, at Wake Forest. It's a very similar situation. We had a philosophical change both in recruiting and, and what you were doing uh, in terms of offense and defense. And Dave was like, look, this is a long rebuild. And they got better each year incrementally. They were god-awful in offense. And they had a good defense the first couple of years, and that kept them maybe alive in some games and kept hope going. And then they suddenly kind of turned this corner, and they've had basically five straight winning seasons now, which has never happened in that school's history. But um, that's sort of where Jeff probably should have been selling, but he was – this was his dream job. I think he was just excited about being in Atlanta and got in over his skis a little bit in terms of, uh, you know, maybe what he thought he could accomplish quickly. And I think it's, you know, been a tough situation for tech fans since. Yeah, it's, it's just hard to imagine a coach saying, hey, look, it's going to take us a few years to build it. You know what I mean? I think coaches are just so wired to, you know, to not talk like that. I mean, partially because I think they probably feel like it would be insulting to their current players. You know what I mean? Oh, we're just sure, not yeah. where we need to be right now and that kind of thing. You know, I think Urban Meyer had the quote about like, you know, it's not about my guys or someone else. They're all my guys and everything like that. Uh, it's just hard for a new coach to come in and say, well, guys, give us three or four years until we can finally start winning. I don't know. It's just, it's just not what you hear. You know, it's coaches. But I mean, the basketball program's gone with this approach and, and, you know, Josh Fassner took over a team that basically had – he had, like, two guys back that had played in the rotation even. Like, he lost, like, 88% of the offense or something from the previous staff his first year. And he's like, this is a, you know, five-year plan, right? Like, five, six-year plan. And they're now, you know, sort of poised to go to the tournament. And it's taken him a little bit longer because of some mistakes made by him and his staff off the court. But – that that template's sort of there, right? And tech fans are a little more rational when it comes to that stuff. If you can explain to them why you're doing X, Y, or Z. I think with Jeff, he just likes um, – he wants to get his message out to as many people as possible. So he's doing all this press. He's going on ESPN. He's going on radio shows. He's going on podcasts, doing all of these things. And the people who are really into it, the people that are subscribing to these sites are – consuming all of this information then projecting an idea that the team's better than it is when you still have fundamental flaws on the defensive line you're still you know not where you need to be there I mean on offense they're starting a true freshman quarterback a true freshman tailback and a true freshman right tackle that's tough like at any level whether you were playing at FAU or UMass or Alabama like that's just tough to do like um, and I think those growing pains, I mean, you look at, like, look at Pitt, how many true freshmen you got one, I think, starting at your slot receiver, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Just and, the receiver. Yeah. And that's, I think the only one on your whole team other than, um, 
Is Battle Kid starting yet or not? He's not know. starting. He he got more reps last week because they had a few corners out. But yeah, no, you're right. I mean, they're 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 playing more freshmen this year, getting them on the field just to just because they can. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, using as many games as you want. But uh, no, I mean, as far as guys who are actually making contributions, Jordan Addison, the receiver, he's the only one. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, and so the way the way I've looked at it, and the way I said that. And the way I think Jeff Collins is looking at it privately probably is this is a free season, right? You had no idea you were even going to be able to play. So get your kids ready, you know, try to win early. And, and they did this a little bit last year. They tried to win early, and then they started playing the kids as the season went along. And I think they're now at this tipping point where <clears throat> they'll start playing some of the younger guys a little bit more. They did in the Notre Dame game. And – You've, you've got to build for the future a little bit here at this point. They're not competing for an AC championship. That's that's done, right? So now what are you playing for? You know, the bowl record doesn't – it doesn't matter your record for the bowl game, really. So if you're, you know, not the last team in the conference, you're probably going to a bowl game with the way the scenario is set up right now. So focus on trying to get better um, and, and get your young guys better and, and build up your team so you can be more competitive next year when you – have more mature bodies. I mean, their defensive line right now, the, if you look at the guys who are the number two guys, they're all redshirt or true freshmen, right? They're all kids or so, true sophomores. Like, they're very young at a lot of position spots. So, to me, that's where, you know, it's a lot different. Like, when I look at Pitt's defense, Pitt's defense is all third, third, fourth, fifth-year guys, right? Yeah. Your two defensive ends are fifth-year guys, right? Like, it's a wonder, you know, Rashad Weaver was a, what, a two-star guy out of Florida to beat USF for, like, um, and a couple other, like, smaller schools, and they've turned him in. That's a player development piece, right? Jeff Collins doesn't have five years of player development on anybody. Like, right. So that's the, the piece that's hard to compare them to. Like, if you look at Pitt's offense versus, say, Georgia Tech's, you know, it's all juniors and, and redshirt seniors and, and true seniors that can't pick it. Like, it yeah, you're going to be a little bit more effective. And you saw how the wheels kind of fell off the pit when Pickett was out, right? Like, mm -hmm. look how bad the offense was uh, during that stretch. And imagine what their record is if you have a healthy Kenny Pickett all year. I think it's a little bit different. Yeah, it was definitely, I mean, you know, everybody knows that uh, quarterback is the most important position on the field. But going going from having Pickett to not – and they lost the game with Pickett, but once you take him out of the uh, – they lost two games with Pickett, but you take him out of the equation, it's a, it's a dramatic drop-off. And then they, you saw the day, you know, when they went down to Florida State and they went 41-17 when Kenny Pickett's back in there. Uh, I don't think there's – you know, it's, it's, it's pretty clear, you know what I mean, where the drop-off is. But like you said, that's, that's a third-year starter. That's a true senior who's been playing since his freshman year, and he's been the starter for three years in a row now. I mean, that, that stuff – if fans don't want to, like – put credence in that they don't think there's any value in experience but it really is I mean it has a, a significant impact when you have guys out there who've been who've played a lot and, and if you don't have that you're going to have some some growing pains you know along the way I mean I guess kind of what are the things that have been issues for Pitt this year in terms of where where have the flaws been for for for, for Pitt's team uh this season just overall yeah, the big one's offense. I mean, their offense just – it's arguably or maybe not even arguably worse than it was two years ago when they fired the offensive coordinator. Um, they fired Sean Watson two years ago, and then they brought in Mark Whipple, and, and the offense has been worse uh, under Whipple than it was under under Watson. They can't run the ball to save their lives. Uh, the passing game is more productive, from, but really just from a volume standpoint because they're throwing the ball a ton more. 
and they're not scoring any points than more, you know, any more points than they did two years ago. So it's been a big issue. The, the run game is a major problem. They haven't, they, they, they ran for, I think 148 yards against Florida state. It was their second hundred yard rushing game of the season. Uh, and really just one of like only four or five since Mark Whipple got to pit last year. Um, that's a major problem. Kenny Pickett has been pretty good. Their receivers and tight ends had problems with dropping passes, which was a big thing in the Florida State game. They didn't drop any passes, so it's sort of a step in the right direction. But it's really about the offense. The offense just shoots itself in the foot. It was the case last year. It's why they went 8-5 and five last year instead of, you know, 10-3. and three is because their offense just shot itself in the foot over and over and over again. It cost them the game. They, you know, they played Miami last year and lost the game 16 to 12. I mean, you, you can't lose games 16 to 12. You give up 16 points, you should win the game. They lost to Boston College 26-19 because their offense couldn't stay on the field. And eventually, A.J. Dillon got rolling. And so, you know, it was the problem last year. It's been the problem this year. They had a better game on Saturday against Florida State. They scored four offensive touchdowns, which is a big amount for this pit offense. But they did them all on short fields. They weren't able to really drive the length of the field at all which is a little bit of a concern, but it's, you know, given how bad this offense has been in the red zone, um, it was actually a step in the right direction. They scored four touchdowns on five red zone trips. So that's been the biggest problem. And then every now and then there've been some issues sprinkled in with uh, the corners and the coverage, you know, the NC state game, they, they just got beat on, on some fade patterns to some just tall receivers who just won a physical battle uh, downfield. And then the Boston college game was sort of the same. And then Notre Dame just outclassed them altogether. I mean, Notre Dame had, you know, has some really good, talented players, and and Pitt just couldn't match up with them defensively. They couldn't, you know, try. They couldn't stop those guys. And so, the biggest problem has been the offense. But then the defense, while it's been really good, has had some some key letdowns at some crucial points. When you know, you know, it wasn't going to matter in the Notre Dame game. They lost forty-five to three. So even if you made a few more defensive stops, it wasn't going to change things. Um, the Miami game, they had five red zone trips and scored one touchdown on those five red zones. So. That was the problem there. But the Boston College and NC State games, those are both one-point losses. Uh, a little bit better defense or a little bit better offense wins those games, and, and that's kind of where this team is, which is what has frustrated people. It's year six of Pat Narduzzi, and they're still falling short in a game like against NC State or Boston College, who are both probably better than we expected them to be this year. But not – I mean, they're still at a level where – I mean, Pitt should expect to beat them, you know, in year six under Narduzzi. And so spent a lot of consternation about the fact that those games were losses in addition to getting just smoked by Notre Dame. I mean, is Whipple sort of on a hot seat yet? I mean, you have Matt Canada's down the street again over at, at the Steelers. It seems like since he left, they, they really haven't been good on offense. He goes yeah. to LSU, his career goes in the toilet through a series of kind of bad decisions and who to link up with. And then in the same time, Pitt's offense has kind of gone downhill as well. Yeah, it's been, you know, when they had Sean Watson in 2017 and 2018, they, they had a really good running game in 2018. They 2,000-yard rushers for the first time in school history, but they couldn't throw the ball to save their lives. So Pat Narduzzi goes out and hires Mark Whipple, a guy who's supposed to fix the passing game, develop quarterbacks, and, and I think he's done a good job with Kenny Pickett. I mean, Kenny Pickett has become a, a pretty solid ACC starting quarterback as a senior. Um, and the passing game, like I say, it's improved – in terms of volume, but even things like yards per attempt, you're not seeing huge improvements over where it was with Sean Watson. I think Whipple is definitely on the, the hot seat. You know, when you consider that Watson was here for two years and got fired and the offense is worse now, two years later, I would have to think that like, I, I, I try not to make, I, I try to make a point of not, 
you know, advocating for people to lose their jobs or coming out and saying they need to fire this guy or that guy. But I'll lay out the facts. And the facts are the offense is worse now than it was when Mark Whipple arrived. And Pat Narduzzi has shown he's not shy from firing a guy after two years, which is what he did with Sean Watson. And so, I mean, I add those things together and include the fact that this is year six for Narduzzi. And if he keeps, you know, he went eight and five last year and seven and seven the year before and hasn't gotten above eight wins in a season. And then this year with a four game losing streak and the Boston College and NC State games, I'm not saying he's on the hot seat, but his seat is starting to warm up as well. And I don't know if he's going to want to stomach another year of Mark Whipple's offense when it's been as unproductive and, and cost them wins. It has cost them at least two wins last year. And I think you could say it cost them at least two wins this year. I mean, you, you can't afford to have that. And so I would, ex- I think there's probably a pretty decent chance they make a change at offensive coordinator this offseason, even if the offense goes on fire for these last three games. I think there's probably a pretty decent chance just because the offense hasn't been good. It's been the weakness of the team. Yeah, I don't get the Whipple thing. He's, uh, my family uh, lives in, uh, around UMass, and obviously I'm more than familiar with, uh, with Coach Whipple, but like I don't get where this thing of him being an offensive genius comes from. He got he helped get Randy Shannon fired at, at Miami. They were not good. He you know, and then other than that, he's been either a head coach or a QB coach, not really a coordinator uh, that much. So yeah, it seems like a weird hire. I I don't get a lot of these coordinator hires across the league sometimes. He's on that list with like Scott Loeffler of <laughs> the former BC offensive coordinator, Virginia offensive yeah. coordinator. These guys who keep getting jobs that I don't understand. Like, you know, like it's like uh, an NFL mentality where you recycle the same couple of guys. That's yeah. why I joked about Matt Canada because, you know, that's right in that realm of recycling guys, right? You take a guy that, you know, had coached somewhere before or has a connection and you bring, you know, I think um, especially defensive mind coaches, defensive minded coaches often fall into these traps where they they hire an older guy that's an offensive coordinator that they respect that really talks a great game in, the, in an interview or whatever. And then, you know, offense is this thing that's constantly evolving. And as you look at who's been really successful in, in college football, right? It's Lincoln Riley's and Joe Brady and all these younger guys, right, that are or, or the savant coach types that are really good at, at kind of adapting. Ralph Regan's the guy that always comes to mind for me. I mean, look, he came out of retirement and goes to Rutgers and got them to like 10 wins or whatever it was, like as an offense coordinator. Like those are the guys that you got to lean on. It's these in-between guys like Georgia Tech has with Dave Padno, who I feel like is probably on a pretty warm seat. Like they haven't really established an identity, and it, it's hard to figure out what they're trying to do. And you have a defensive coach and Jeff Collins who, who liked him because he was a guy that had had success at Coastal Carolina and he brings him to Temple and they do okay. And then he comes to Georgia Tech and, you know, Jeff sold him really hard to the fan base and they haven't really delivered. And, and you know, aside from a few nice play calls, at times he gets too cute for himself and, like, has played them out, of, made some huge mistakes in red zone. Uh, play calling and things like that. They have the same kind of issue where Georgia Tech where they can't score in the red zone consistently. It's kind of funny to me, like, to see, you know, Pitt going in this. Pitt's one of the schools that drives me crazy every year because I'll pick them to kind of turn the corner and then they suck. <laughs> and, like, well, you know, they had the season they had last year. Last year I thought they were primed to win 10 games, like you said. 
Like I looked at on paper, I was like, oh, this is a pretty good looking team. Pickett's been getting better, like, and they have some good receiver. I was like, I like the team they have. And then they come out and, and kind of poop themselves a couple times. And like, it, it, it's just amazing to me, like how consistent that is in the coastal, just as, as a thing as you look across the league. And um, I laugh just because like, you know, it's funny. Narduzzi's managed to have Georgia Tech's number other than that bump game up in, in Pittsburgh. Uh, but the games have been like, you know, last year Georgia Tech was horrible and they, and they only beat them by 10. Yeah. And Georgia Tech literally had no offense last year. It was <laughs> basically non-existent and they only yeah. won by 10. The previous couple of years were field goals at the last minute of games. Um, you know, they went up in, in Pittsburgh uh, in part because of a a ball that deflected off a guy's hand and goes to a tight end for a wide open touchdown. I has just been like, you know, one weird thing after another. And so it, it's sort of fascinating to see how these kind of games unfold and, and to see where Pitt is and, and, you know, Narduzzi not really being able to kick them up a level yet. And them having this opportunity where the coastal has not been good. And you've had Miami and Strife and Georgia Tech in, in the midst of, you know, the back end of Paul Johnson's career and, and then into this change and, you know, Virginia being kind of up and down and Virginia Tech not being, being the only team that's underachieved even more than Pitt to not, in my eyes in the Coastal over the last yeah. year. So it, it's just fascinating when you kind of look at this and you wonder at what point, you know, are the, is it, is it going to be satisfactory to win six to eight, nine games a year for Pitt? and not kick it up to another level. That's where Narduzzi's got to be careful because if he keeps treading water, eventually fans get frustrated with that and push people out. Happened with Paul Johnson at Georgia Tech where fans started to get frustrated. There would be these peaks and then just kind of like this plateau over a long period of time of, you know, being competitive in the division but not winning the division, not playing races to championships. And at what point does that start to catch up on him? So, I, I, you know, I could imagine he feels a little bit of heat with his offensive coordinator. And this is sort of like an audition for him for these last four or five games for, for Mark Whipple for next year. Yeah, and I don't even know, you know, and again, I don't know what Panarizzi is going to do, but I think, you know, at this point they've got 13 plus eight, they've got 21 games uh, on, on Whipple's resume at Pitt. I'm not sure if these last, you know, three regular season games plus potentially a bowl game, I don't know if they can undo what, the first 21 were, you know, because there weren't very many good offensive performances in there. Uh, and, and quite frankly, like I said, I mean, it cost them the Miami and Boston college games last year. It almost cost them the, the Duke game. They went into a shell in that game, the Georgia tech game, you know, they, they, what was it? 21, 10 or something like that. I mean, it, it wasn't, 20 to 10, yeah. Yeah. It was, I mean, it's not like they were like lighting the world on fire and, you know, they almost, you know, you know, the offense went into a shell at Syracuse and almost cost them that game. They just squeak out of a bunch of games last year because their offense couldn't do well enough. And and this year, you know, they beat Syracuse 21-10. They beat Louisville 23-20. Um, this 41-17 game where they beat, uh, um, it Florida State was the most points that Pitt has scored in an ACC game with Mark Whipple as a coordinator. So, I mean, it took them 21 games. Uh, to, to get to that point so it's you know it's it's not good and it's a mess and, and the fan frustration is definitely there I, I think you know the fan frustration you could even date it back to 2018 when they went seven and seven they won the coastal division but they lost to North Carolina nobody lost to North Carolina in 2018 except for Pitt 
Um, you know, they they obviously lose to Clemson in the ACC championship game, and then they go and lose to Stanford in the Sun Bowl when Stanford had like half its team out. It was it was you know it was the weirdest year. I mean, they went seven and seven. Uh, you think oh, the coastal champions, you should you know feel like an accomplishment, but you get a 500 record. You finish who finishes the season seven and seven, and then they go into last season. And eight and five should have been ten and three. I mean, that that should have been a ten win team. They were good enough to do it, even with a, a you know they played Penn State and Central Florida out of conference, but they still should have been a ten win team, particularly since they beat UCF. Uh, but they were unable to you know they, it, it, they were held back by by that offense. And then you come into this season, you know, a four game losing streak, uh, getting beat by forty points. Th- these aren't the things that should be happening in year six. And I think fans are feeling a lot of that frustration. Um, you know, we're right now with Narduzzi, I don't think there's any question about it. And and it's at a point now where because they lost to Boston College and NC State, this season is never going to get out of sort of the, the realm of disappointment. You know, I mean, the, the die was cast there. They can salvage it from being an abject disaster, which, uh, you know, in no disrespect to Georgia Tech, but if they lose this weekend or they lose next weekend to Virginia Tech, it's going to be borderline disaster because then they finish at Clemson, probably going to lose that game, which means if they lose one of these two, either Georgia Tech or Virginia Tech, they're going to be five and six and going five and six in year six of a head coaching tenure. When you've got all these experienced guys coming back on defense and you're not really breaking in too many young players on offense. Yeah. The seat gets a little warm when that happens. And, and it's certainly warm from the fans. And I got to think, you know, the athletic department and, and some of the people who make decisions are, are feeling that a little bit as well. Now, of course, the cloud that hangs over every one of these kind of coaching decisions is, the pandemic and revenue fall revenues falling. And, you know, do these universities really have the stomach to pay a buyout and pay millions to hire a new coach? I think that's going to save a lot of people's jobs. And I don't think even if it wasn't a pandemic year, I don't think Pat Narduzzi would be fired this year. Um, I think he would last at least another year, even with a disappointing season. Um, But I I do think the pandemic is going to save a bunch of jobs this year and then you know you get into 2021 and Narduzzi really is going to have to produce at a pretty high level or else uh, you know, that next offseason is going to be really interesting. It's weird, too. Pitt doesn't have a game on the 5th, right? And they don't have a makeup game, right? So That's their, that's their off week. The ACC gave, you know, the two off weeks, the ACC gave them the final week of the regular season. It's one of their off weeks. So, you know, they, they gave them a road game at Clemson, which was not on the original 2020 schedule. Uh, they took Duke and Virginia and, and North Carolina off the schedule, gave them a game at Clemson. Thank you very much for that, ACC. <laughs> gave them a game at Boston College uh, and, and then gave them their off week in the final week of the regular season. And, and people wonder why Pitt fans are paranoid. You know, I don't brilliant. think the ACC tried to screw Pitt, but they got screwed by this schedule. Well, don't forget, you also played four home games to open the season and three of your four, final four are on the road. Good times. Uh, and all long trips, by the way, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's Florida that's State, Georgia part. Tech, and Clemson. Literally, the, the five longest road trips Pitt could make in this conference are on the schedule. Boston College, uh, you know, going to Miami, going to Florida State, going to Georgia Tech, and Clemson. Literally, the five longest potential road trips they could have. Like, Pitt people were like, we thought maybe they'd send us to Virginia, Virginia Tech, maybe Louisville, like some of these Syracuse, some of these places are a little bit closer to home. And instead they sent them to the, you know, the longest possible road trips they could have to make. So good times. That is crazy. And that's, uh, I guess, excited for Georgia Tech fans who are conspiratorial with the ACC as well, that, that maybe you're not, uh, 
on as bad a footing as as, as Pitt apparently is because <laughs> that's kind of ridiculous. They could have like a full month before, before a bowl game of no games basically because everyone else will be playing the fifth, maybe the twelfth. I mean, have they talked about trying to add a game? Would the league let them add a game, like no. a, a buy no, game? I don't, I don't see that. Financially, I imagine it doesn't make sense. No, yeah, I think they're gonna they're gonna. Uh... <laughs> they're going to wrap it up with that Clemson game and just be done and wait and see what happens as far as a, a postseason invite. I mean, I like, I, I still think that there's a feeling, and I, I haven't talked to anybody a bit about this, but I mean, look, we're taping this on Wednesday. We've you know seen announcements today and yesterday. There's four SEC games canceled this weekend. I mean, to me, it's still up in the air every week of whether the game is going to be played. Now, Pitt has been pretty good. They, they went a long time without having any players absent from a game due to COVID protocols. Uh, this past weekend, they had one player who couldn't part, who couldn't be at the game due to due to COVID protocols. So I mean, that's it's all uh, you know. They, they've handled it well, but at the same time, Pitt's campus is you know they gave a shelter in place order for students because they had a big you know like everywhere else they've had a rise in cases that they're they're tracing back to Halloween parties. So I mean, you know, I I say any game they actually get played is a is sort of a an accomplishment and I don't see them trying to schedule any more games just because, you know, what's the likelihood that it actually, you know, gets pulled off. So, you know, that's just, uh, I think the schedule ends with uh, Clemson there and then they, uh, you know, wait and see if there's a bowl game, you know, that, that could be quite the bummer if, you know, they don't win because uh, really they should win, you know, two of the next three on paper and yeah, what if you go, you could go 0 and 3, you could go 1 and 2, you could go 2 and 1. Like 2 and 1 is what probably the optimal scenario is, but, you know, Virginia Tech's been schizophrenic and Georgia Tech's certainly not like a total doormat. Like they're better than Florida State. So that could be, this should be a really interesting game. I'm, I'm very curious to see how they play, how they handle Pitt's defensive front and if it's a competitive game like it was last year, because I think it should be they're facing like a similar offense for like the fourth straight week. Like, you know, they should be able to at least scheme that up and, and make it a competitive game. And then, you know, that's just tough, man. I can't imagine like playing, you know, going to going to Florida State, going to Georgia Tech, and then going to Clemson all kind of in a row with no buy in between. Yeah. And having to buy in the last week of the season, they should have done that to Notre Dame if they're going to do that to anyone. <laughs> no, they're trying to butter them up and get them into the conference, man. They're not going to try and screw them over. <laughs> they want them to. Uh, I, I, although I guess the flip side would be like they they could say, well, we gave you that buy so you could be rested for the ACC championship game, and then uh, you know that would work out for them. But yeah, that's um, that's just how it, it, it's a weird year, and uh, you know I feel like there are new oddities added every week to this whole thing, but. It's just a, it's a year I don't think anybody's going to forget anytime soon. So, you know, we'll see what happens uh, this Saturday. But, Kelly, um, thanks so much for joining us, man. This was uh, – it was a lot of fun to catch up with you. It always is. I guess uh, if they actually have a basketball season, maybe we'll talk then. I know they, they're they announcing schedules and preseason polls. So, I guess it's a realistic possibility. But um, maybe we'll talk then. And, you know, until then, have a great, uh, great week. Enjoy the game on Saturday. And, you know, enjoy the rest of the season, whatever we get of it, right? Yeah, thanks, Chris. I appreciate it. It's been fun.